You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Sometimes things must fall away. Certain things must we give up as we grow. Other things will be added. And we have to get used to that and move forward. Change is not compromise. Change is not compromise, especially when there's love involved. When there's love involved, when there's love involved, change becomes cooperation with one another and concern for one to another. That's what love is. How much progress can you make when everybody's just looking out for themselves? In today's message, Pastor Dave challenges us to humble ourselves and put others' needs before our own. Next time you find yourself struggling to put others first, just remember that Christ put you before himself on the cross. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Ezra chapter 3 as he continues his message, They Come as One. These beautiful leaders, Jesua and Zerubbabel, I like these guys because they're really, really good leaders. Look what they do in verses 4 through 6. They also kept the Feast of the Tabernacles, that is it written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by the ordinance of each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts, the Lord, that were consecrated. And those of everyone who were willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. This is great. Now, this takes place, if you look back in the seventh month in verse 1, the seventh month is called Tishri, T-I-S-H-R-E. It's usually our September or October. That's what it coincides with. It's a very, very sacred month for the Jews. For in it are their most high holy days. Their most high holy days are in the seventh month. Think of the Day of Atonement. Think of their New Year, Yom Kippur. Think of their Feast of Trumpets. And then the Feast of Tabernacles was also in that month. Now, who knows what they did at the Feast of Tabernacles? We saw it in The Chosen. They built tents and they lived outside of their normal dwellings to illustrate what they went through for 40 years in the wilderness. They built these tents. In fact, in Israel today, they still do it. They still do it. They still do it. It's pretty cool. They still have that happening. But it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now remember, what else happened during the Feast of Tabernacles? Remember, the priests would go down to the Pool of Siloam, and they would fill up their jugs, and they would walk back, and they would pour out the water onto the steps of the temple all the time, and they would do this for seventh day. And on the seventh day, they would come back without water. Remember? What happened on the seventh day when Jesus was there? Anybody remember? On the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, 
Jesus stands and cries out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come and drink of me. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters, torrents of living waters. John, on the other side of everything, when he's writing his gospel down, gives this in 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit is not given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So having received the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, rivers of living water flow out of you. And that's what's being symbolized here, this beautiful, beautiful feast. The first thing they did was restore the altar so sacrifices could be made. I want to go back to that. Why? Because the people were afraid. They were afraid because they came home to their homeland and there were a lot of people who were surrounding them who really didn't like them. You probably don't know this, but all the countries in the world really never liked the Jews. In fact, still don't. Still don't. But they were surrounded by pagan groups and they wanted to hurt them. They were afraid. So they wanted to be pleasing to God, which is really, really good. Can somebody tell me why that's really, really good? Because of what happened before? They were carried away to Babylon because they were idol worshipers. They were carried away to Babylon because they didn't obey the Sabbath rule. They were carried away to Babylon because they weren't pleasing to God. They didn't do what God told them to do. So now they're back. And boy, they want to do what God told them to do because they want to be pleasing to God. Because they already know what would happen if they weren't. So that's a great thing. So they restore these things. The first thing they did was restore the sacrifices. All this happened before they laid the foundation. All this happened before they laid the foundation. We seek so many things. We look to so many things. We want a house. We want a marriage. We want kids. We want a good job. We need this. We need that. And all those kind of things. They did all this before because they loved God. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew when he talks about not worrying. And the beautiful verse that he comes to the conclusion with is one of our favorite verses. Therefore, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Don't worry about the thing. Seek first the kingdom. That's what they're doing. What a great example in the Old Testament of them doing the very thing that Jesus was telling the disciples to do. Seek first the kingdom of God. But I need a job. Seek first the kingdom. Pray. Seek God. Read your word. Come to study. But I need this. I need that. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first. God will supply. Then they did begin to lay the foundation. Let's look at 6 through 9. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people for Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to see to Joppa according to permission which they had from Cyrus the king. Now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God of Jerusalem, Zerubbabel the son of Shetel, Yeshua the son of Jehozadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of captivity to Jerusalem began to work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. 
Then Yeshua with his sons and brothers, Kimeliel with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one, there it is again, they arose as one to oversee those working on the house of God, the sons of Hedadad with his sons and the brethren and the Levites. So they're laying the foundation again as one. They have overseers who are taking care of them. They gathered materials the same way Solomon did. They went up to Sidon and got the cedars with permission from the king. They were using what was left of the old foundation, and they were working on that. They were working together once again for a common goal, for a common goal. And that, to me, is what a church does. That's what a church family does. We have a thought. We pray about it, and we bring it out there. We pray some more about it. And we give it to God and say, okay, Lord, if this is be you, let's see what happens. And it starts to happen. It starts to develop. And that's what it is. It's called a venture in faith. It's called a venture in faith when you just step out and you do something. The Lord can open a door that no man can shut. And he can shut a door that no man can open. So we move out in faith. Had he shut a door along the way, we probably would have given up and gone another way. But we, he didn't. He kept on providing where God guides, God provides. And that's the whole theory. And he continues to do that and do that. And we've seen it miraculously time and time again. And that's what I see here. But he uses you. He uses the people, not just the leaders. He uses everyone because we all have a part to play. We all have something to do, whether it be on the worship team, whether it be to teach, whether it be to help, whether it be to clean, whether it be to PowerPoint, songs, videos, security, front door, whatever it is. God has given us all different abilities. So what you need to do is find out where you fit in. What can you do? How can you bring something to the program? What can you do to fit in? And that's what these people were doing. Some of them just gave money, many of you. Tithe graciously, and we are absolutely overwhelmed and blessed by the way you tithe to this church and give beautiful offerings to the church. So that's you being a part of. And when you do that, when you do that, you take part. We support about six or seven or so missionaries in various places, whether they be in Panama, whether they be in deepest, darkest Africa and Asia, whether they be online, whether they be in uh, New York, Jews for Jesus, or whether they be in Bahrain or in the Middle East ministering to Muslims, we support them through your tithes and your offerings. So therefore, you are a part of that ministry. You are taking part in what God has called you to do. That's what's happening here. I'm trying to make this so you can see what's going on here and how you are a part of it. You are a part of all of that. And that's because we have a good foundation. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is our foundation upon which this church is built upon. Amen. Amen. But if you don't have that foundation, if you don't have that foundation, repentance, prayer, studying the word of God, obedience, and by faith come. Those are the things. Those are the things. So the foundation is finally laid. It's finally there. And look what happens. Why not? They rejoice. Sure. Why not? Look at 10 and 11. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel. Oh, I bet they look good. With trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of the king of David, David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively. 
praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever towards Israel. And I can say to you, his mercy endures forever to all that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, his mercy is open to all, even those that haven't accepted Christ. His mercy is there. All they need to do is accept. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid. Woohoo! They gave thanks. They rejoiced not in what they had done. They rejoiced in what God had accomplished. And that's important, folks. That's important. Don't ever take credit for anything that goes on to this church. It's all God. It is all God. And if it's not God, believe me, you or I don't want it. We don't want it. God is doing the work here, and he is good. His mercy endures forever. They did not rejoice in themselves. They didn't go around and pat each other on the back. Look what we did. Aren't we cool? Yeah. Hey, we did a great job. We're pretty cool. No, they didn't. They rejoiced in him and his ability. He had brought them out of captivity. He had given them the will and the provisions to rebuild. He had been faithful. His mercy endures forever for Israel. We'll see that God's mercy will never, ever stop going towards Israel the further we get along in the book of Revelation. God has a perfect plan for the nation Israel, and that will come to fruition. But, there's a but, and it's not a but God. Every time things are going along good, every time things are going along well, all of a sudden there's a bump in the road. A little bump in the road. Let's finish out the chapter. It begins, verse 12, but, but many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud with joy, so the people could not discern the noise of the shout for joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. So everybody's shouting. And they don't know what they can make of it. We got the whiners and the complainers and the shouters and the singers. Everybody's shouting. What was this all about? What was this all about? Well, it says so in there. Can anybody tell me from those scriptures what was the problem? Why were the old men weeping? They had seen the old temple. They were still alive and they seen the old temple. And one of the biggest tricks of Satan comparison comparison well phew, that not going to be anywhere near as great as Solomon's temple and hey I saw Solomon's temple and boy was it great Pugh, these youngins bleh, who do they think they are worshipping and running around come on I was there Pugh. when we dwell together in unity folks when we dwell together in unity we're going to be tested. We're going to be tested in many different ways. It seems that the young ones were rejoicing for what the Lord had accomplished. But the old men were weeping. They remembered the old temple. It's beauty. It's grandeur. But the temple wasn't the same. There was something different about it. And they started to compare. And anytime you start to compare, you go down a slippery slope. The young men never saw the old temple. They had nothing to compare it to. So what they saw was a work of beauty. And they rejoiced in the work that they did for God. It's most unfortunate when the unity of God's people is broken as one generation comes against the other. Ah, yeah, we're at the sore subject. Hmm. 
Now we come to the source subject. One generation comes against the other. I don't like the way that person dresses. How dare they? Look at that. Doesn't matter if they're worshiping the Lord. It's the way they dress that matters. Nobody in my time dressed that way. And what's with this music? Why are we singing hymns? My, back in my day, that's all we sang were hymns. I don't like this contemporary stuff. Crazy. Chorus after chorus after chorus after chorus. Come on. Don't you know that these guys who wrote these hymns were inspired by God? They were holy men. These people who wrote these choruses, blah, I don't know. Even though all the choruses mention God in them and have scripture in them all beyond belief. You get the point what's happening here? You see what can happen here. Now, I grew up with hymns. I love hymns. I grew up in the Lutheran church. I grew up singing hymns. And I loved hymns. I know a lot of hymns. We can have hymns sing right now, and I can sing a bunch of hymns from memory. I loved old hymns. But, man, there's something about the new choruses. There's just something about the new things, the new style. It's just new. It's just different. It's not bad. It's just different than what we're used to. And instead of poo-pooing it, we need to welcome it in and sing the choruses that you'll grow to love and love. And every now and then we add a hymn. We've done hymns before. And there's nothing wrong with hymns. I love it. They're great. But we can't ignore the past. We can't let the past hinder us. We can't let the past stop us from moving forward. We have to forget what lies behind. And we have to press on to the goal. We have to press on to the prize of Jesus Christ. We have to forget the bad that lies behind and we have to forget the good that lies behind. We can't rest on our laurels. Yeah, back in 1906, God was really good. He was great. Okay, well, how about now? Isn't it the same God? Isn't he just as good now? What has he done now? I can tell you what God has done in my life today. All the wonderful things that he's done. So we need to look at that, and we need to move forward. But too many times just, ah, been there, done that. I don't want to do that anymore. That's old hat. Well, come on. Come on. We're family. But we're not a family album filled with old pictures. We're a garden, not a graveyard, where we bloom and blossom. And I think it's great. I think it's great as we move on. This is what Paul said in Philippians 3, 13, and 14. I just quoted it. Pressing on to the goal, the high calling of Christ Jesus. There's a balance in our lives. And I think Peter, this is where we'll close, Peter talked about this balance in his first epistle. Let me read these 11 verses to you, please. Chapter 5. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. 
which means clear-minded. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be all glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful words by the apostle Peter. Beautiful words. Older Christians must challenge and equip the younger Christians and set a godly example for them. They had to be able to look and see a godly example set before them so they can aspire to that. The church is a family, and for a family that grows, sometimes things must fall away. Certain things must we give up as we grow. Other things will be added. And we have to get used to that and move forward. Change is not compromise. Change is not compromise, especially when there's love involved. When there's love involved. When there's love involved, change becomes cooperation with one another and concern for one to another. That's what love is. That's what the love of Christ has done in my heart. It compels me. It compels me. It also constrains me. It helps me. It helps me. And finally, the psalm of ascents, the psalm of David, Psalm 133, and this is where we will close. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. Unity among the people of God. It's good and it's pleasant because it reflects the heart of God. And when people on the outside see unity on the inside, they'll be drawn to come from the outside to the inside. If they walk in and see disunity, if they walk in and see disharmony, if they walk in and see bickering and complaining and moaning, they can say, I can get that on the outside. Why would I want to come here? But they should expect to see and receive love, acceptance. Every single one of us needs a Savior. Every single one of us needs a Savior, and he came, and his name is Jesus Christ, and we all need him. We all need him. Jesus prayed when he was praying to the Father before he went to the crucifixion, speaking of us, that they may be one, just as you, Father, and I are one. May we always look at it that way. May we also strive for that oneness. May we also strive for that unity, that bond of peace. And may we walk accordingly, loving each other the way Christ loved us and the way he has taught us to love each other through his word. Amen. You are The first thing the Israelites did when they returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple was to set up the altar and make offerings to God. How about you? When God delivers you out of difficult times, what is your first response? Do you offer up your thanks and praise and worship? 
Do you set up an altar to remember all that God has done? I'm not talking about stacking stones, although that's one way to remember. However you choose to do it, find a way to keep a reminder of God's faithfulness where you will see it daily. Are you in a hard time right now? Or has God recently brought you out of something difficult? Either way, we would love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at info at capewatchradio.com. We want to be praying for you. Once again, that email address is info at capewatchradio.com. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave has been teaching his way through the book of Ezra. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Want to know more about it or come see us sometime? Check us out online at assurehoperadio.com. Regardless of where you live, you can join us for services on our live stream to Facebook or YouTube. But if you're in the area of Cape May, New Jersey, come see us. Everything you need to know is on our website. Have you been loving this series in Ezra? We sure have, and we're glad you've come to join us today. We've reached the end of our time together for now, but we'll be back right here with more from Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Oh